Let us pray. Father, open our eyes to the truth of your word. Let us see it. Open our minds to comprehend it. Our hearts to love it. Anoint us, God, to hear your word. Anoint my lips, Father, to speak the truth of your word. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. This morning we find ourselves in the second half of the sermon I began last Sunday. The gospel gives us hope. So we're in part two. Last week we covered from chapter 15, verses 36, through chapter 16, verse 24. So this week we'll kind of pick up there at the end of uh, maybe verses 22 and go through verse 40. But Karl Barth said this. He said, to clasp the hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. What do we mean when we say the gospel gives us hope? Well, this morning I want us to see how the gospel of hope transforms us and unifies us in Christ. I want us to see how the gospel of hope transforms and unifies us in Christ. As we consider the gospel of hope and how the gospel gives us hope, we're asking the question, what is the gospel? What does it mean to say that the good news of Jesus Christ gives us hope? And Pastor West did a great job of just introducing that a while ago when he said that it's because of the resurrection of Christ that we have hope. Christ himself, it's what we sang about, he's defeated sin and death. He's conquered. He is the victor. He has conquered death with life. He has defeated Satan by rising from the grave, not allowing the, the punishment of sin, death, to hold him captive in the grave, but he overcame. He is the overcomer that we sang about. And it's for this reason that we can say the gospel gives us hope because Jesus Christ has given hope to all those who confess him that we too will overcome death, that we will know and experience the resurrection, that when we close our eyes and take our last breath on earth, if the Lord Jesus doesn't come before then, we will Reign, we will enter heaven, we will enter into God's presence for eternity, and we will be with Him for eternity. And so we say the gospel of hope transforms and unifies us in Christ. How does it do that? Well, last week we noted God's sovereign watch care over us, he, He's always watching over us. God's hand is upon the life of His children. And last week we in fact saw God's sovereign watch watch care over Paul and Barnabas and then over the first missionary team, the, the new missionary team as they went out and went throughout the second missionary journey. We saw how God even providentially directed Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke. And we saw that God did this even in the midst of this sharp disagreement that happened between Paul and Barnabas. And so in chapter 15, verses 36 through, uh, through the end of, of chapter 15 there, we see that, uh, verse 41 of chapter 15, we see that Paul and Barnabas had this incredible disagreement, a very sharp disagreement. Paul was a, a great encourager, or Barnabas was a great encourager, rather. Paul was a great thinker. And so we said, in the midst of this, this great disagreement they had, this sharp disagreement, 
they both realized something. The mission must go on. And so we found that Paul and Barnabas, while together they were an incredible mission team, they just could not continue to go together. Because of this sharp disagreement, Barnabas wanted to take John Mark and go with him, bring him on the second missionary journey. And Paul says, absolutely not. The guy deserted us the first time. We can't count on him. We won't bring him. And so Paul and Barnabas, this big fallout, Barnabas takes John Mark, goes to Cyprus. Paul goes and finds Silas. He brings Silas with him uh, on this new missionary journey as they're going to visit all the churches or the churches they planted during the first missionary journey. So Paul, Paul and Silas set off and they pick up this other guy named Timothy on the way, young Timothy, and they embark on this second missionary journey. And when they get to Troas, they pick up Another guy, probably Luke, at that point. We saw that in chapter 16, verse 10. One of the things we also noted was, I said, you know, I I find it incredibly uh, comforting to see that guys like Paul and Barnabas, great men of the faith, even they experienced tremendous life-altering setbacks. We thought about that for a minute. One of the difficulties that the passage we encounter here from Luke's perspective, one of the difficulties is that Luke doesn't give us any resolution, right? There's no conflict resolution between Paul and Barnabas here. Luke's narrative just gives us kind of this realistic picture of the hardships of life that we encounter along the way. And we see this struggle that happened between Paul and Barnabas as a very real struggle, a very difficult struggle, one that was grievous, one that was heated, one that was decisive. And we even said, you know, sometimes it's hard to know who's wrong and who's right. Because there's this mixture of of both stubbornness and conviction. And both Paul and Barnabas shared that mixture. And then we said, as we walk the narrow path of discipleship with Christ, we will experience strained and broken relationships. We'll grieve over what might have been. We'll grieve over what can't be reconciled. And we, we learn to trust these things. We learn to entrust these things to God so that he might graciously bring healing. And we learn that the mission must go on. One truth that we come to realize through this narrative is that God is sovereign even over our blunders, even over our mistakes, even over our sinful pride and our unwillingness to bend. God remains sovereign. None of that surprises God. All right? And yet, here's the gracious thing about God is that he still desires to use you and me. He still desires to use us in accomplishing his mission. And while we don't always know the course that God plots for us, sometimes we have to set our plans aside and it becomes evident that God has other plans. So as we walk through chapter 16, we see how the gospel of hope calls us to enter into mission. The gospel of hope satisfies our souls That was Lydia, right? Lydia was a a wealthy, independent businesswoman in verses 11 through 15. And as this wealthy, independent businesswoman, she was from the city of Thyatira. She was a Gentile, but she had converted. She was a proselyte. She had converted to Judaism. And she was one that we would call a seeker. She was seeking for God, seeking for truth about God. In verses 14 and 15 actually tells us something about this encounter she had with Paul and Silas and Luke and Timothy. As they went out to that place of prayer outside the city of Philippi, they began to share. And the women there listened, and it says the Lord opened up 
Lydia's heart to pay attention or to respond to what Paul said. And then it goes on to say that her and her household, she and her household, believed that day and they were baptized. One of the important things to note here is that while she was a wealthy businesswoman, she wasn't bound by her wealth, but instead she was ready to use her wealth for God's glory. She responded to the gospel. She believed in the Lord Jesus, and she and her household followed Christ. Lydia discovered that day the gospel of hope. She discovered that the gospel of hope truly satisfied her soul. And Lydia's conversion wasn't the only conversion in Philippi. Remember the slave girl who was possessed by a demonic spirit. The gospel of hope also delivers us from bondage. It satisfies our soul, and the gospel of hope delivers us from bondage. In verses 16 through 24, there was a slave girl in the city of Philippi, right? She was bringing her owner's profit. And as she was bringing them profit, she kept following behind Paul and Silas. And as they were going to preach, she was declaring, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. She was possessed by a demonic spirit. In fact, in the Greek text, it said she had the spirit of a python, a pythoness. And according to Greek mythology, a python spirit was associated with the spirit of Apollo. We, we noted the, there was a parallel between her bondage and the bondage that we experience through habitual sin in our lives. And this parallel shows us that sin grips our life. It wraps us up and it constricts our lives so that ever so slowly it subdues us until ultimately we find ourselves in an inescapable position. I don't care who you are, this is what sin does when habitually practiced in your life. It wraps us up and it constricts our lives. So when Paul and Silas commanded the spirit of the slave girl to come out in Jesus' name, it agitated their owners, her owners. So they seized Paul and Silas, brought them before the magistrates, had them beat, flogged, and then thrown into the prison cell. And the magistrates told the jailer, make sure you keep them safely. Verses 23 and 24 of Acts chapter 16 says, when they had inflicted many blows upon them and threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. What's ironic about the scene as it unfolds to the rest of chapter 16 is that Paul and Silas appear to be the ones who are in bondage, while everyone else appears to be free. But we know this wasn't the case. In fact, Tertullian said, the legs feel nothing in the stocks when the heart is in heaven. Speaking about the torturous beating that Paul and Silas had gone through. As we continue reading in verse 25, Paul and Silas are demonstrating how the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel, gives hope and peace. A hope and a peace that can transcend even the most ominous circumstances in our lives. Let's read from verses 25 through the end of chapter 16, verse 40. About midnight... 
Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him, verse 32, and to all who were in his house. And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up to his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household uh, that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrates sent police saying, Let those men go. And the jailer reported the words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens. And they've thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. You know, Paul and Silas were certainly in a tight spot. They had been severely beaten, Their backs, their sides, their legs were lacerated into a bloody mess. Their feet were placed in the stocks in the inner prison as a form of torture, and they they were left in the dark on the dirt floor of this inner prison. Eusebius Pamphilius, a church historian, wrote, But as the tyrannical tortures were made by Christ of none effect through the patience of the blessed, that's Christ, The devil invented other contrivances. Confinement in the dark and most loathsome parts of the prison. Stretching of the feet to the fifth hole in the stocks. Paul and Silas, they were suffering for preaching the gospel. But their suffering for preaching the gospel was of no comparison with the soul-satisfying position or place or peace of knowing Christ. Friends, do we know suffering for righteousness? Do you know suffering for righteousness? As a believer, as a follower of Christ? What are the forms of suffering that we encounter for walking in God's way? Unlike unlike Christians in other parts of the world, we don't know physical persecution, but we experience being shunned by our family. We might experience social rejection. We might experience abandonment by a spouse. 
we suffer internally from denying sinful cravings. This in itself is also a form of suffering righteousness. But, but being, gripped, being gripped by the glorious peace and presence of Christ makes our temporal suffering to pale in comparison with the glory of knowing Christ. Paul and Silas show us this. Instead of moaning and crying, woe is me, notice Paul and Silas' response in verse 25. What are they doing? They're praying and singing hymns to God. This was the very source of their strength. Friends, this ought to be our response even in the face of suffering, even in the face of battling against temptation. And notice the effect it had on the other prisoners. What were they doing? They were listening, right? They were listening. You see, Paul and Silas' relationship with Christ had this captivating effect on the prisoners that were there in prison. Their worship of God in the midst of great suffering was like a light that pierced the darkness of the jail so that even when the prison doors flung open because of the earthquake, they stayed. They didn't move. It's in times of our greatest suffering that the gospel light of Christ shines the brightest through us. And this is our witness to the world, church. This is our witness to the world of the glory of Christ. The thoughts, some of us, some of us are there. Some of us live there. And to those who live there, I would encourage you, keep fighting the good fight. Keep walking with great endurance. But many of us aren't there. We're still stuck in the beginning of this portion of knowing the gospel frees us, delivers us from bondage. We're still stuck in daily walking and battling in that that bondage. And my suggestion, my encouragement to us is that we need to depend upon Christ, trust in Christ, walk closely with Christ, and take Paul's model here, Paul and Silas, and and learn to, to put that in our own lives so that in the midst of temptation, in the midst of suffering, we are ready to cry out to God, to call out to God, to sing praises to God, to come to Him in prayer. This was at midnight for Paul and Silas. It had been a long day, a long day. And yet we find them at midnight praying and singing hymns to God. What an incredible picture. No matter what the circumstances in life, we learn from Paul and Silas here that in Christ alone, we can experience freedom from bondage. There is no bondage the world can throw on you that Christ cannot deliver you from. There is no bondage that Satan can capture you in that Christ cannot deliver you from. We must look to Christ. We must turn our eyes and fix our eyes upon Him, the author and perfecter of our faith. We see the gospel of hope delivers us from bondage, but we also see this morning that the gospel of hope gives clarity in the midst of hopelessness. The gospel of hope gives clarity in the midst of hopelessness. In that moment where Paul and Silas are at midnight singing and praising God, in that moment the God of heaven smiled down on Paul and Silas 
and he shook the foundations of that prison and the chains fell off and the stocks released. Every prison cell flung wide open and the jailer wakes up, draws his sword and is about to commit suicide. And Paul and Silas, Paul yells out, don't harm yourself. Now let's press pause for a moment and consider the story from another vantage point. The jailer. Think about the jailer. He was a retired veteran from the military. Most of the guys that worked in the jail as a jailer had already given a life of service to the military. And this veteran... The Philippian jailer's veteran military officer was, was covering the night shift as a prison guard. He had one job to do. One job to do, and when he got off that night or early the next morning, he could go home to his family. He needed to keep the prisoner secure. At the end of the shift, he'd go home, see his family, get some sleep, whatever. Go about the day. But on this night, everything changed. I think he had fallen sound asleep listening to Paul and Silas singing hymns and praying to God. And then all of a sudden, the foundations rattled. Earthquake came, woke him up, and as he awakened, he sees every prison cell cell open and his heart sinks and his life flashes before his eyes. And so he takes his sword out of its sheath And he grabs it, and he's ready to impale himself when Paul and Silas see it. From the dark recesses of the prison, kind of looking out in a dim light, they see the silhouette of this jailer. And they say, no, stop! We're all here. And so the jailer grabs a torch, says, bring the torch in. They come, and they see that everyone is there. And then in verse 20, verse verse 29, the jailer called for lights, rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Can you imagine? In that moment, he sees they're all there. And then again, his life flashes before his eyes. What was I about to do? great fear and trembling, he falls down. And, and with, with a moment of clarity, the, the gravity of all of it sinks in. So he brings Paul and Silas outside, and what's he ask them? Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to have this salvation that you have? What must I do to have this great hope that you have? What a beautiful question. Here were a couple of prisoners suffering and seemingly in a hopeless situation, but their testimony was anything but hopelessness. You see, the light of Christ was shining brightly through Paul and Silas as they were suffering in the dark of a Philippian prison cell that night, and they responded to the jailer and said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and all your household. Verse 31. And then verse 32 gives us the how. How is this man and his household saved? 
they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And the jailer and his household were saved. It was through believing upon the Lord Jesus Christ and in hearing his word that they were saved. While the jailer washed and cleaned Paul and Silas's wounds, in reality, he and his family, they were the one who were, who were washed by the water of God's word and made clean that night. And though, though Paul and Silas had their wounds clean, they were baptized into Christ and into his church. And the hopeless jailer found hope in Christ. He and his family were saved by Christ upon hearing the word of Christ. That Jesus is God the Son who walked the earth in the flesh. John 1.14 He lived a sinless life and died a sinner's death to take the wrath of God on man's sin upon himself. And having been condemned to a sinner's death, Jesus Christ rose victorious, triumphing over Satan, triumphing over death, and having canceled out our debt of sin, gave us eternal life. It's my belief in this word, the word of the gospel, that the jailer and his family were saved. Repentance and faith were secured that day for the jailer and his family, and they, they were transformed. Look at verse 34. Then he brought them up to his house, and he set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Maybe for you, you're like the jailer, and you're asking the question this morning, what must I do to be saved? And the answer from Scripture is repent. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Or maybe for you, you realize that you are in bondage, and what needs to happen in your life is there needs to be a, a time where you're just real with the Lord Jesus Christ. You confess your bondage before him and ask for strength as a believer to be freed from that bondage so that you can walk in this new life that Jesus Christ gives us. Maybe for you this morning, you need deliverance from bondage or maybe you need clarity to see that the gospel gives hope even in the midst of hopelessness, even in the midst of the most ominous circumstances. The gospel still gives us hope. Because daily we can turn to Christ. Daily we can know his presence as he walks with us, as he guides us. Daily we can know the directing of the Holy Spirit and experience the joy of fellowship. No matter what circumstances life brings us, we can experience the joy of fellowship with God by his Holy Spirit. There's one more picture of hope offered, I think, that we need to see here in chapter 16. And that is the gospel of hope builds the church. We see it in verses, in verses 35 through 40. The gospel of hope builds the church. Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. And so this is why they stick around. They kind of have the first sit-in here in the jail. And so they stick around after and demand an apology. They, they make their Roman citizenship known. It was forbidden to beat a Roman citizen, especially without a fair trial. And so he says, hey, we are uncondemned men. You've beaten us. Let them come and release us. Not quietly, but let them come and give us an apology. John Stott says he, 
He wanted to compel the authorities to recognize and to fulfill their God-appointed task. This may have been very important for the freedom that he would establish freedom for the early church. But I think the real story here is kind of the story behind the story. And that is the unifying power of the gospel. It's seen here in chapter 16 in these new converts to the faith. Three very, very different people from very different social backgrounds and vocations and cultures. Think about it. You've got a wealthy Gentile businesswoman who's from Thyatira. You've got a poor slave girl from nowhere. And you've got a hardened Roman military veteran. Each of them having one common denominator. Each of them being unified by the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, these were the three foundational members of the Philippian church. Paul writes to the Galatians, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And so it is because of the saving work of Jesus Christ that he can bring three very different people together to be the formation of the new Philippian church. I would say to us this morning, we come from many different walks of life. But in Christ, because of the hope of the gospel, there's this transformation that is happening in our lives. And the gospel of hope brings transformation and it brings unity in Christ. There is a unity that that transcends any earthly barrier. There's a unity in Christ that transcends cultural lines. There is a unity in Christ that transcends any racial prejudice or ethnic struggle between the nations. There's unity in Christ because of the Holy Spirit of God that he makes to dwell within his people. In Christ, we are all part of God's family, and for this, we can rejoice. So let me ask you a question. Are you part of God's family? I don't mean the church in the sense of what we might think about it. Many local churches gathered across the city this morning, and maybe I'm a member of that church, and so, yeah, I'm part of God's family. But what I mean here is, do you know salvation through Jesus Christ alone? That, that's what makes us part of God's family. It fleshes itself out in, in local church membership, sure, but, but are you part of God's family? Do you know Jesus Christ, and does he know you? The early church was birthed into an environment of sorcerers, gods and goddesses, goddesses, many spiritual cults and religions. That was in Philippi. But we see something similar today. Many cults, sorcerers, tarot card readers, spiritual practices in the new age. And as a church, we need to recognize that God is... God has called us to unity in the faith in spite of all of these other things and in spite of all these backgrounds. There's a unity in the faith that comes from knowing Christ Jesus. And as the church, we are called to engage in God's mission in the world. And part of doing that 
is being unified together as a body of believers. So we learn that the gospel of hope builds the church. Jesus himself said, he's the resurrection and the life. Jesus himself said that no one, nothing, even the power of Satan cannot overcome the church. And that in him, he is the beginning. He is the one who establishes the church. And so this morning, I pray that you'll respond to the Lord Jesus Christ. If he's leading you to enter a relationship with him, to know him, that you'll, you'll search that out. I pray that this morning, if, if what the response that, that God's leading you to, if the response for you is to, uh, to come before him and to confess areas of, of bondage that God's revealed to you, I pray you would do that this morning, to take time to confess that. And, and maybe for you, maybe it's living boldly for Christ so that your testimony It's like that light that pierces the darkness of the jail cell. Whatever be the case this morning for you, I want to encourage you to respond as the Lord leads you. If you need to talk to someone about what it means to follow Christ, to surrender your life to Christ, I would love to talk to you about what that means. I'll be down front or I'll be at the door of the exit uh, at the end of service and you can come and speak to me then. Let us pray. Father in heaven, as we worship you this morning, pray that you would give us strength by your Holy Spirit to respond to your word. Give us strength, Father, to live faithfully following you, to draw near to you, and to walk faithfully with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand? We sing a hymn in response this morning speaks even to the very scene that we saw today. It's a hymn by Charles Wesley called It Can It Be.